Hey, everybody, we have an incredible episode this week. I was invited by a friend of mine, McKay Belk, to hear a woman who was in town from Africa. I'm like, oh, this sounds interesting. She's a missionary from Africa. Her name is Carol Ward. And I read this short description that, that my friend sent me. And I came and I heard Carol share for two and a half hours, I think. <laughs> I'm sitting here with Carol. And I was absolutely mesmerized by what God has done in and through you. And not only that, what he's doing in the world, what he's doing in our lives. And I don't know about you, my friend McKay sitting here in the room. And I looked at my watch. I couldn't believe it had been two and a half hours. I'm just sitting here. I'm so, like every step of the way, I was encouraged. I was challenged. I was filled with hope. I was filled with uh, just desire to even further partner with God because I'm seeing this evidence of your life. So Carol, first of all, just welcome to the podcast. Thank you for making the time. Thank you so much. It's good to be here. Thanks. Well, it's great to be here. And I gotta, I'm got i going to share this, and I'm going to turn this over to Carol, but her book, folks, if you, you're you going to hear this story, you're going to want to get this book. It's Send Me Where No One Wants to Go. Mm-hmm. And that was your prayer. There's places in the world yes. nobody wants to go. It's dangerous. It's scary. It's ugly. Uh, it's not comfortable. You might have to eat termites and locusts and grasshoppers, which you ended up doing for years. Mm -hmm. And you said, God, send me. Mm -hmm. And he did. And the stories, folks, that you're about to hear. But I got to quote this is from uh, Dr. Robbie. He said, Carol Ward dares to venture where angels, where even angels fear to tread. This story follows one woman's commitment to her God and love for his people. Be warned, this compelling raw and inspirational account of the ministry from the front lines is going to make you sit up and say, Lord, what can I do? Send me. Because that's how I felt last night. I'm like, I get home, I talk to my wife. I'm like, honey, we got to up our game, honey. So (laughs) with that, Carol, I would like to just turn it over and introduce yourself. Tell a little bit about your backstory. And then I just want you to start with what you have done over the last 10, 20, 30 years, wherever Holy Spirit puts on your heart. Amen. Thank you. And we just want Jesus to be glorified in it all. It's what he's done in us and through us. And uh, a little bit of my background is my grandparents were in China for 30 years serving with a mission and taking prisoners of war. So they were familiar with war zones, but also people of great prayer. And I feel like that is a heritage that sometimes is is grandparents or parents that we need to tap into because that runs down our generational blessing line. So sometimes we know them and sometimes we don't, but prayer is sustained in the throne room. And so my parents, people of prayer, went to the Philippines to work with terrorists, a Muslim tribe in the jungles of the Philippines where I grew up and my playmates were the children of terrorists. But you know, I saw two people that never had any fear. They didn't think about fear. Others were being evacuated and executed. Some were being imprisoned. It never entered their mind to leave. They said, we love the Lord enough. We're going to serve him sitting and going home, uh, I mean, standing and going home if he calls us home at any time. And so. But that was foundational for you. You were watching your mom and dad. I was watching. Yes. And how they were responding to all these external threats mm-hmm. and violence. This wasn't just a town where terrorists lived. This was, the violence was also happening there. I'm almost thinking yes. of yes. like Ramadi, Iraq, right? You have the people, yes. you, like yes. it's kind of that environment. Is yes, that, that yes. And they didn't call it ISIS back then. They do now, but that was before. And so he served and he loved a people that were looking for his head on a platter. And what I saw 
in my father in action was the word of God made flesh. And I saw that a man took every scripture and lived it. So he lived faith. He lived compelled by love. He lived laying his life down, dead to himself. And he was a role model of the living word of God in action. And I left there to go to the States for college um, as I finished high school in the, in the jungles, homeschooled. Can I ask you a question, though? Because mm-hmm. you shared a story that your dad because there was so much violence. He would wake yes. up and say, Lord, what do I do today? Do yes. I take the motorcycle? Do yes. I take the bus? Could you share yes. a little bit of that? Because that was just the level of trust that your dad mm-hmm. and the Lord, and he had learned how to hear what God had to say every day, was so powerful. Amen. He walked with one foot in heaven and one foot on earth as I watched his life. But he would get up every day and say, Lord, I'm going into such and such a village where there's terrorism. Do you want me to go by bus, motorcycle, by foot, whatever. And he lived Romans 8, 14. As many as are led of the Spirit are the sons of God. He never moved without the voice of the Holy Spirit. And so God would show him four wheels. So if he saw four wheels, he'd ride the bus. And if he rode the bus that day, that all the motorcycles on that route were ambushed, and the drivers executed, decapitated. And so then the, he'd go and finish his ministry in that particular village. And the next day, the same thing. He'd pray the same thing. Shall I go by um, wheels, uh, four wheels, two wheels? And he'd get on his motorcycle. The Lord showed him two wheels. And the bus is bombed. So we watched supernatural protection because his reliance was totally on the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't just live inside of God. He took his family inside of God. We knew that we lived inside of God. I never had a day of fear in my life. And sometimes he'd get up in the middle of the night because God had woken him up, an angel had woke him up and said, put your family in the jeepney and get them out of the village. Well, there wasn't any problem that we were aware of. And we'd leave at night, not knowing why daddy was packing us up and driving off, and the, and the village would be grenaded behind us. And so from that, I learned that there's no amount of violence or hatred or opposition around us of any intensity that God can't completely protect us from. We live in the palm of his hand, Father filtered. Everything that would would touch our lives is Father filtered. That was ingrained in me. At the same time was love your enemies. So they wanted his head on a plate. He was so in love with this people group, Islamic people group, that he had already died and given his life in his heart for their salvation. And whether God wanted to use him in life or death, it didn't matter. So question there, because I could see how in that environment, Mm -hmm. you start seeing that group that's Mm -hmm. killing people. I mean, they're Mm -hmm. doing horrible things Mm -hmm. as like the adversary. I could see how resentment or hate or, right, you're an impediment to what I'm trying to do with God in this village. And how did your dad show up in regards to them every day? Was it just he loved them the same way Christ loves them? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And he would go into the mosque with them and say, I'm going to go with you, but I want to stand up and tell you about my God. And because they knew he loved him, them so much, they allowed him to do that. Now, when he translated the book of John in their language, they burned the Bibles and threw them in our windows. I was about two or three years old at the time, and, and they repeated the stories to me. So here we are having supper in the village and burned Bibles of my father's first three years of labor. 
He was laboring 62 years amongst these people. And so, you know, I asked him later, I said, Dad, didn't you get so discouraged? They wanted you out of the village. You know, they wanted your head on a platter. He said, I got on my knees and I began weeping for a people who did this to Jesus. And he said, I asked God for a creative idea. How am I going to win Islam and my enemies? And so God gave him a creative idea to reprint the book of John. And our people up there make brass in these deep pits, you know, deep in the jungle, like this beautiful Indian brass faces kind of thing. They look gorgeous. They make them up there in the deep jungle. He had pictures, black and white pictures and photos of the Datu and the chief and the imams. And he had saved those. And the Lord said, make my, by my word, the book of John, into a photo album, and the people will treasure it. So he reprinted the book of John, and he put the scripture on one side of the page, and he put the pictures of the people and the villagers, and they'd never seen pictures of themselves. And he handed out millions, and they treasured these books in their language as if he had given him a piece of gold. Now, where does that come from except the Holy Spirit? <laughs> and, and had all those Bibles not been burned and thrown in your house, he wouldn't have gotten now right, to right. what became a, a family heirloom yes. because of the pictures and the heritage. Yes. And Yes. And then he did the Jesus movie in our language and many, many, many other things. But that's when they looked for his head on a platter. And they intensified the hunt, head hunt for him. He never left. He would disguise himself as a Muslim sometimes to go into areas to love on the people. And he watched his four children go through physical dangers that could have taken our lives with cobras and amoebic dysentery and other things. And we didn't have doctors out there, but they lived by faith. And so they would just pray and believe God to come in and heal the situation. And uh, my little sister drank a can full of kerosene and, you know, all these kind of things that you'd think you'd never survive. And we never had a doctor. There was no 911. I realized from this man that in the New Testament church, they didn't have plan B. In our American society, we plan for plan A, plan B, and plan C, even in marriages, and that's why they fail so much. And in the Word of God, there was no plan B. It was Jesus, and then Jesus, and then Jesus. And when they stepped onto that line to sell their lives out, say yes to the Lord, it was the call of, of salvation, which I live now in Africa with a, a level of believers that's kind of a different breed than what we see most of the time. Because when Luke says, if you want to be my disciple, take up your cross, that means it's going to cost you something, there's going to be something to carry here, identify with it, deny yourself, but we work to preserve ourselves and follow me unconditionally, no bargaining, absolute surrender. Except any outcome. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Which is very countercultural. Yes. From the world we live in right yes. now, isn't it? Yes. And that was the step I made when I said yes to Jesus as a small child. So going to Africa wasn't like, what do you mean, a decision here? I already said yes. And if that's where I see Jesus going, that's where I'm going to go. Now, behind the title to that book... Send me where no one wants to go is another commitment that I had made. I love you, Lord. I love you. I love you. I'm, I was just so in love with Jesus because of what I grew up in and the surrender and the selflessness and the sacrifice that I had said, I'll go with you anywhere. 
And he said, well, do you know where I'm going? I said, no. He said, I left 99. And I left them sitting, some of them in pews, and some of them in homes, and some of them in comfort zones, and some of them that don't think they need a doctor. But I'm going after one. And I can hear the cry of that one. And I said, if that's where you're going after one, then I want to go too. And he said, well, most people don't want to go there where I'm going to go. Because it's danger zones, or it's the fires and flames of hell. Jude says, pull them out of the flames. And he said, and I'm going after that one. I said, then I'm going too. And so that was my commitment. I didn't know it was Africa. I didn't know where it would be. I was working with heroin addicts and, and working as a nurse in Oklahoma. But when Campus Crusade invited me 20 years ago to come and teach in a Bible school, in uh, southern Uganda, I realized that wasn't the answer to my prayer because it was kind of a safe zone, but it was a learning curve for me because in missions, we go with a Western mindset like we're the problem solvers and we got all the answers and it's got to be done our way. But that's not how Jesus went. Jesus got on the ground with a towel and a bucket and he said, I came to serve you. And that's what he taught us to go do to others. And so I told these students on the campus, 150 students, I said, I'm just here with a towel and a bucket. And I need to know where you have walked. Because there's dust on your feet that I want to wash. And I don't know where you've walked, but places I've never been. And that was how I entered that assignment. I went to learn. And I went to serve. And it was the greatest year of learning I've ever had because I learned from 150 people who had been through war zones, pain, tragedy, sorrow, and suffering that I couldn't even comprehend. So in that year, you're in kind of a safer place. Yeah. And, I, and I heard your story. Yeah. You know that this is a place of preparation. So yes. you're very, yes. right? Yes. But in that, what did you learn about yourself as you're almost kind of in this area of getting ready. Does that make sense? Yes. One of the most beautiful things that I went to Africa with was my own redemption. And I had known Jesus as a small child, but I had walked through uh, 20 years of deep, deep brokenness in a situation I was in where I'd lost my will to live. And in those years, as Jesus was so close to me, more than a person, more real to me than a person. He took me through the scriptures of Jeremiah 18. And he said, you know what I do in the potter's field? I go in the back of the potter's field and find broken pieces of clay. And I walk around and I pick up these broken pieces. And I hold them in my hand, knowing that I'm going to make something new out of this confusion and broken mess. And he weeps on those broken pieces because he feels the pain of every piece. But they begin to soften, and he puts them back on the potter's wheel, and he makes vessels of honor that Timothy talks about. But that's where he gets the clay, is in Jeremiah 18. And so that was my testimony. And in the testimony of God said, I'm making you into vessel of honor, I had cried out, how are you going to restore years that the locusts have eaten? Is that how you felt about yourself? Yes. And I love that you're sharing that because you hear some of these stories about how God has worked miracles around you and in yes. you and through you. Yes. And it's been hard. Yes. And a lot of times we think, okay, I guess we just, if we trust in the Lord mentally, we're not going to yeah. struggle. We're not going to have depression. Mm -hmm. We're not mm -hmm. going to doubt ourselves. Mm -hmm. 
But this is also part of our fallen nature. And it's, right? But that is when we actually have to then point back toward God, because he's going to always walk through it. But I I love that you shared that, you know what, we all have our struggles. Yes. And even in everything God's done in your life, there's been some really challenging periods for you personally. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And it was situations that were beyond my control. And sometimes we find ourselves in that. And so, uh, but it doesn't matter if those were our own choices or we were victims of circumstances. God's the same healer. And so um, when he makes a vessel of honor, he makes a vessel to contain something. And all I desired is to contain his healing grace. But I had mercy beyond my own ability because of what I had walked through and lost my will to live in a situation of extreme abuse. And so I said, Lord, would you take this vessel, if you're making me new, and pour me out onto hungry and thirsty? I'll give you my lunch, as the little boy did to Jesus. And Jesus said to me, I don't need your lunch. I need you to be the lunch. I need to be able to break you to feed 5,000 people. And he said, you've come out of brokenness to healing, but now I want to break you in my hands in a good way to feed the hungry. That was one picture. But another one was when I said, restore the years the locusts have eaten, he said to me. That just gave me goosebumps as you shared that, by the way. (laughs) Amen. He said, I can give you back 20 years. I heard the Lord say that. He said, I gave Hezekiah back 15 years. And he said, I can restore your youth, your vision, everything, as if you had not lost 20 years. And so when he said that, here I am in Africa looking at war zones, broken people that have been victimized by circumstances beyond their control. I identified. And I said, Lord, if you can give me back 20 years, you can give these people and this nation 20 years back. You can restore. Yeah, and can you set the stage a little bit? Because I think a lot of people listening here, especially in North America, are probably not really familiar at that time when you went there. What was really going on in Uganda, in South Sudan? And we've heard the stories about Kony. And I remember my kids actually did a fundraiser for people going against him when they were kids. And I didn't even really understand the horror and how these people lived. Abject poverty. Yes. Oppression. I mean, they were literally living, they were surrounded by the the most malevolent and, and vicious evil faced mm-hmm. like daily. That was their, we can't even relate to it here. Mm-hmm. But I'd love for you from mm-hmm. your perspective to kind of set the context of what the environment was and what then you, what God led yes. you to like move toward. Yes. Amen. Well, when, when I was listening to the students' pain, The ones that had come from northern Uganda were saying to me, please, will you come? No one else will come. Well, I knew then that was the answer to the prayer I'd prayed for years. And I said, I'll go, because I saw Jesus going into this war zone. Everybody else had been evacuated, missions evacuated, expats, NGOs shut down, because World Vision had lost people, and so had Samaritan's Purse in those wars. Joseph Kony was one of the most demonic dictators ever, and human sacrifices daily, chopped people to pieces, cooked them alive, made the children eat cannibalism or crucified the children alive on trees. And that's what he did when he went into abduct schools. 
and uh, marched these children, eight years old to 28, and and then even abducted uh, adults into Sudan at the time and initiate them into the highest occult you can imagine, you know, of all these rituals, satanic rituals he performed on and brainwashed them to kill or be killed, and that if you ever escape, you'll be beaten to death. And if you squeal, we're just going to shoot you and that kind of thing. So there was 50,000 children abducted, turned into child soldiers. And he was um, called himself Jesus Christ, personified, but that he got his power from fasting to Lucifer. So this huge mockery of the Trinity and counterfeit. He said his uncle was Father God and his auntie was the Holy Spirit. And so this is how he very blatantly just... Um, presented himself, terrorized people. It was like a spirit of Goliath, where he mocked the armies of the living God and intimidated. You know, fear paralyzes people. And so when I went north, after my year in the south was done, nobody would cross the Nile River and go north with me. No African would. No organization would cover me or and send me. Are you crazy? And to you come? were told not to go yes. by everybody from the U.S. government yes. all the way down to probably your close friends. Yes, yeah. yes. And they said, "Are you crazy? Who's going to pay for your to fly your body home to bury you? Your blood will be on our hands, and you come home in a body bag." I mean, I heard it all. And no organization would give me a penny or cover me. So my little home church, my pastor said, we'll just pray for you and send you. That's what they did in, in the Word. I said, that's all I need, as long as you're covering me in prayer. And I, my dad was in the Philippines, my mom and dad. And I said, Mom and Dad, I'm going into this war zone. Oh, good. Go for it, honey. We'll pray for you. And he, so as long as I had my pastor and my mom and dad, that's it. And I had the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I mean, just all right there. So I was given a little vehicle, and I make that eight-hour drive to the north by myself alone over the Nile River and ready to go into a war zone that UN, when they discovered it two years after I was already living there, then uh, Dateline News, NBC News out of New York came out with the first exposure to this war. And the UN said it was the worst atrocity they'd seen since Hitler. Well, the US Embassy also told me I couldn't go. And I said, is that an order or is that a, a suggestion? I asked the consular. <clears throat> he said, well, that's a strong suggestion. And I said, well, good. If it's not an order, I said, I'm going. And I said, I don't find in the book of Acts where they ran away from danger. I said, there's a thousand people a day dying. And I said, and what are we doing about it? And so he said, what was your name again? I told him my name. And he said, I'm crossing you off our list. You're already dead. And I said, thank you, sir. I said, that means the devil can't kill a dead man. And I said that to him. I don't remember what he said back. But anyway, well, we hung up the phone and I'm driving. In the car, I had this conversation with the Lord. Because the ambushes that jump out from the bush, the rebel, it was guerrilla warfare, they had already killed military soldiers. And so they put on their uniforms and wear them, the rebels would, and they had their guns, AK-47s, from the soldiers. And so you didn't know if you were looking at military or rebel. But they jump out of the bush by uh, cars going by or passengers, pedestrians walking. And um, it was always rape and then shoot you and then loot the car and burn the car. So there was no pedestrians. The road was almost empty, but I'm driving eight hours through burned vehicles on the sides of the roads, having a conversation with the Lord as I was driving, because I knew I was going in Him. But I was fighting fear, and I'm looking right and left, praying hard. And He said to me, what are you doing? 
And I said, well, I'm obeying you. He said, no, you're not obeying me. And I said, well, why not? He said, I can't use you in fear. I never sent anybody out in fear. He said, fear kept a whole nation, my children, from the promised land. He said, 10 said no, two said go. 10 said no, two said go. Fear kept a generation wandering till they died. And he said, I had to wait until I could use the faith of the two. And I said, well, then give me more faith. He said, faith isn't what you need right now. And I heard the Lord say that. Well, first I said back to him, I said, well, you'd be scared too, wouldn't you? And and then I started laughing at myself because I realized I was talking to Heavenly Father. And he said, you don't have enough love. I said, love? And he read to me. He reads me the scriptures. And he opened the Bible and he put his finger on 1 John 4.18. And he said, look what I wrote. He said, 1 John 4.18, perfect love casts out fear of any kind. And he said, you don't have enough love to trust me with your life. And he said, and you don't have enough love for the people you're going to serve to lay your life down for them. The way your dad loved the people that wanted his head. And I began weeping in that car. I said, then if you will baptize me with love, Lord, until fear is gone, I want to live in that baptism. So question for you, people listening right now. Mm-hmm. And there's fear in their life. Yes. Right? From whatever reason, right? Mm-hmm. Could be a hundred different things. And they read that verse like, okay, perfect love. It casts out this fear. But I, I've struggled with this fear. Yeah. If you were discipling somebody who was maybe stuck there, what would you share with them? Focus on the overwhelming, immense, ravishing love on the heart of God pursuing you. We think we might be pursuing him. Oh, no. His love overtakes us. Song of Solomon says his heart is ravished. He's madly in love with you. Jeremiah 31.3, I draw you to my heart with love, cords of love that can't be broken. Romans 8, nothing can ever separate you from my love. Not height or depth or angels or principalities or famine or sword. Nothing. And his love, he lives with the heartbeat of wanting this intimacy and communion with us all the time that he pursues us. And if we just yield to that kind of love in the heart of God, and I knew that I knew because he had shown me before, he said, do you know your address? He asked me one time, do you know your address? Because I was leaving the States and I had no address in Africa. So I thought, okay, I dangled between two nations somewhere. I don't really know where I belong anymore. And people ask me now, where is your home? And I say, in the heart of God. Because he said Jesus came from the bosom of the Father in John chapter 1. And John 14, I'm going to prepare a place for you in the bosom of the Father. So where I am, you can live there too. And Colossians 3.3 says, you are hidden with Jesus inside the heart of God. I thought, what love. I'm sealed there by his love and nothing had touched me. And when Peter was walking on the water, remember, he had to overcome the voices in the boat. God showed me that. You're going to go to Africa. You're going to need this. Peter had to overcome the voices in the boat, which is all his friends telling him, no, are you crazy? And then he had to overcome his own mind 
Are you crazy? You're going to walk on water? Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Jesus, is that you telling me to come? Good, I'm coming. And he got out of the boat on the word of Jesus. Come. And he did great till he looked at the waves. Fear came. As soon as he looked away from Christ. Yes. And now it became about yes. everything else. It's yes. almost like focusing on the world That's right. versus focusing on where does God want me to take that next That's step. That's right. And focusing on the war in Africa. Yeah, my own understanding mm -hmm. versus God's understanding. Mm -hmm. And I asked him. So I said, Lord, after he baptized me in love, I said, would you give me your definition of faith? And he said, fixed focus on face of Father. When you're looking at my face, there's nothing you can't do because you're doing it in me. And there's nothing I can't do. Well, I tell you, he settled it all in that car driving up there. And when I got up there and I saw the most horrific darkness that felt like you could just cut, slice it with a knife, I thought, I thought I knew some things about spiritual warfare. I don't know anything. I said, this darkness is intense. So is this like a situation where I'm almost envisioning it's like a the sun's out, it's a beautiful day, but you're driving into a place where you just feel the oppression. Yes. It almost feels like the clouds covered the sun, but there's no clouds there. It almost... Spiritually, is that kind of what you're describing? It felt like I was in a, in a room of darkness where there was no light. And you can't see your hand right in front of your face. You can't even see it. It's so thick. You could feel it. And even the government knew it. The people knew it. Because after we had eight months of prayer and then the national prayer gathering in the stadium during the war, it was the government officials that said, are you that crazy lady praying in the stadium? And I said, well, she, they call me the crazy white lady. I said, yeah, but there was a thousand people praying with us. I said, why? On day five, they said we could feel the change in the atmosphere. This is the unbelieving government. He said it feels like this big black curtain, thick curtain has been pulled open over the whole region and heaven is now open. So this is a government official. Yes. Not a believer. Yes. So this is what I just felt. This is what we all just sensed and yes. saw. And yes. Okay. Now you got to tell the story that led up from that first drive yes. Yes. into this spiritual darkness. Yes. A place of just hell on earth for real. Yes. To minister to people who you didn't know. Yes. From that point up through that prayer gathering yes. on that soccer field. Yes. Amen. So I didn't know what to do because I had no money. I'm a nurse. I had no medicine. I mean, where do I begin, God? And the way I begin my day is prayer. My whole life is prayer. And so I thought, okay, that's the beginning and that's the end. I put a little cardboard sign out in front of the little house I was living in. I wanted to live in the camps where the people were dying. And there was no latrines and water and cholera and TB and leprosy, and they wouldn't let me. They said, you're a security risk, because there's no Westerners up there. So they did allow me to stay in the little tiny center of town that had been a bloodbath. And I put a cardboard sign, 7A, 7P, seven days a week, prayer, anybody welcome. And I didn't know if anybody would show up, but I thought, that's when I'm going to pray. So we started three-hour prayer meetings, it turned into. The house is packed, and the groaning. If I could describe this groaning in my gut, that I just, I groaned and I groaned like you'd lost a baby, you'd miscarried, you had a barren womb, I felt like Hannah. 
She wanted a son so bad, anguish, languish, travail, all those words that describe her in 1 Samuel 1. And we wept and we agonized. We're on the floor. I mean, with all these Africans in this room, because the land was desolate, barren, children were dying, decapitated, chopped in pieces, child soldiers killing their parents. I mean, the horror was no hope. Hope hope was gone. Eyes of people were glassy, like they were walking dead. That's how I described it in my letter. And after eight months of praying like this, for three hours, three hours... This in the, is just people showing up at your small yes, house. Yes, Anybody could come. Yes. And I'm sure they started coming back. Yes. People didn't even know what was going on. Right. Didn't even have a relationship right. with Christ. But they're like, there's something... Yes. I want to be there. I want to yes. be in that room. Yes. And it started this movement yes. of God moving. Yeah. But that groaning, mm-hmm. though, because, you know, God, you know, Jesus says he wept, yes. right? Yes. You know, we get detached living where we live mm-hmm. often in the first world. Mm-hmm. But now you're face to face with yes. like true suffering. Yes. And you're anguishing because of what you're seeing people mm-hmm. are, what their lives are like. Mm-hmm. Is that fair? Or yes. And, what, and it seems like there was and something else, though. The people in that culture, they had no time to grieve. One lady had a gun held to her head and had to watch nine children decapitated. And she couldn't close her eyes or they'd blow her head off. And she had three more children back in the hut to feed. And so she watches nine. Another little pastor goes out to garden and it. There's 16 decapitated heads of the people, the youth he had just won to Jesus, sitting on stumps in his garden. And he had to bury the heads before he could. I could go on and on. I hugged a little lady that was just a, a corpse. Her legs were gone and her arms were gone. And she cried and she said they cut my arms off piece by piece. And she said, and I watched my son get slaughtered in front of me and nobody can fix my roof now for me and it's leaking rain on me. And she's bawling and I pick her up and I hug her and I weep and I just, I felt this weep with those who weep and I can't feel the depth of this pain. So when they started coming in to pray from the villages and they're groaning and they're agonizing, they had never had a chance to grieve. But this was not a hopeless sorrow. They felt hope in that house. And that was the difference. It was like the believers hiding in fear after Jesus was crucified. Oh, the Romans are going to get us next. They're going to get us. And everybody thought tomorrow we're going to be dead. They were living in survival mode. But it was a weeping and a grieving and an anguish with there's something in this house that's giving us hope. And it was Jesus. They would walk over the threshold of that house, hit the floor on their knees, throw their arms up. Not only Susan, whose story I told, but many, many others. I want what's in this house. I want what's in this And they'd walk in and just give their life to Jesus in our prayer meetings because they heard music. They heard hope. They heard singing. And so the Holy Spirit drew them. And as we prayed and prayed, I kept feeling, this isn't enough, Lord. You're healing people in this house of prayer. But we've got to see the land healed. And I kept thinking, Second Chronicles 7, 14, he promised to heal the land. He promised to heal America. He promised to heal Africa. And he's not a God that he would lie. Why are we not seeing healing? Because it's conditional. Mm-hmm. And he said, it's based on the if, just like salvation is. If you want to be my disciple, pick up your cross and follow me and deny yourself. If you want healing for the land, humble yourself, pray, seek my face, not my hands. Confess. 
repent and turn. There's some conditional events yes. in Scripture. Yes. There sure are. Yes. His now, love is unconditional. But, 100%. But he says, you know, yeah, to, you know, people love to quote, right? Ask anything in my name, mm-hmm. right? There's so much context around that. You got to be in a relationship. Yes. When I'm asking things in his name that are according to his will, because I've taken the time to have the relationship so I can hear his will, yes. and then I want to join him in that and then ask, yes. that's the context. Mm-hmm. It's not like, oh, no, fix my financial problem. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in that, I'm just thinking, these people have, they've gone through that. And I have some really good friends, uh, and I've spent some time in Rwanda with everything that they went through. And, and I know that, you know, part of their healing, the reconciliation, it's been beautiful what's happened. Mm-hmm. But is the natural question is, why did we have to go through this? I mean, that level of when people are coming through and they're healing and they're starting to try to maybe put things in context, is that a question you would get from some of the folks down there? Yes, all the time. Yeah. But if God can take somebody's anger and questioning and turn it into the fact that Romans eight twenty eight, what good can he bring out of it? And one of the precious treasures is um, Zechariah chapter 3, where the Lord says to Joshua, he said, I'm going to pull you as a brand out of the fire. And so I saw, okay, you're pulling these Acholi people out of these fires of the LRA war. What are you going to do with them, Lord? He said, well, what do you do with the brand? You brand your cows or whatever. It's a, it's his ownership. He said, I'm going to pull them out of the fires of suffering and tragedy, and I'm going to brand the world with the fires of revival. Mm. And I heard that. And I said, you mean you're going to use this suffering? Later when I met underground church leaders in China that had been through the same kind of suffering, but now they're ready to die for their faith and take Jesus back to the Middle East. Same with these people in Africa. And I said, why is the African church so willing to be the sacrificial church? And he said, because suffering brings you to the point to where you're willing to sacrifice. If we don't know suffering, we really don't know sacrifice. I got to tell you a story. A friend of mine was over in China and spent a lot of time with the underground church. And at the very end of this, and they saw people being raised from the dead. That's how they convert a whole village. He's like, no, nah, you don't really do that. Well, they said, well, come with us. So that's a whole other story. But at the end, they had a yes. prayer meeting and they're praying in Chinese. Yeah. And he could tell they're praying something like serious, like for the American church. So he mm-hmm. heard mm-hmm. the word for, you know, American, U.S. and He's like, well, what did you pray? He goes, well, I don't think you want to know. (laughs) (laughs) He goes, no, like, tell me. He's like, seriously, I really want to know. He goes, well, you know what? I pray for persecution for the American church because you need to be strengthened because you have no backbone. And without persecution, there's no dependence on the Lord Mm -hmm. and there's no strength. So right now you are ineffective. And my friend Kay's like, (laughs) thanks for the prayer. But, you know, that's how they view us. Yes. Right? And because look, at they've gone through, and now they're like you. Yes. Send me anywhere. Yes. Give, I'll accept yes. any outcome. Yes. And you know what suffering does? It makes us realize we are living for the eternal, not the temporal. Mm. And so when I look in Changes this, your whole context yes. of this life, doesn't it? Yes. This mm-hmm. is so temporal, I'm just passing through. When I look at a, at a sea of 500 indigenous missionaries now, ready to die for their faith, send us, send us, right into the war zones. And we have almost a thousand of them that we've trained and raised and, and are sending. And I'll go, why do you say yes so quickly? And they'll look at me like, why would you ask such a question? Why wouldn't we give what is temporal 
this body, this carcass, to gain what's eternal. Another whole village for Jesus. And then they can take me out. But I can go to heaven with another hundred souls. And they said, if we had a thousand lives, we'd do it a thousand times. Okay, so as you did this, the yeah. prayer meetings are happening. Yes. Now this is growing, and you're like, and, and there's like a soccer field. It's not really a stadium, right? Mm-hmm. But there's a, right? And you go, okay, well, let's have a prayer meeting. Yes. And you go yes. to the village elders or wherever you yes. get authority from, and they're like, uh, no. Not only yes. no, but like, don't ask again, yes. like kind of thing. Yeah. And what was your response? And, and share with what happened. Well, I don't take no for an answer. <laughs> and, uh, I've, I've and so I figured that out about you. <laughs> and so I said, we're going to pray there. And then they started trying to put fear and intimidation. Well, people have tried climbing over the wall and pray, and they died. And they gave me different stories of deaths. And I confirmed them, and they, they were really true. And I said, well, I'm not going to climb over the walls. I said, we're going to walk in through the gates. And I said, and we're going to have a corporate prayer meeting with a thousand people there. Because I kept asking God, we're having prayer meeting for eight months in this little house, three hours and three hours in the morning and evening. But we need an if my people. If my people means a gathering of however many people God has in this region that are hiding in fear. And so when they said no, I went back to the little house where our prayer gatherings were happening. And I said, you know what? This is a this kind and at this kind, in Matthew 17, 21, Jesus says to his disciples, this kind comes not out except by prayer and fasting. I said, we're up against a this kind. We're going into prayer and fasting. You're talking about, the, the, you're, not the dealing with, you're not dealing with foot soldiers from the demonic army. You're dealing with powers, principality. You're talking about, this is a general. Yes. One star, three star, could be four star. Yeah, this is mm-hmm. this is big time. Yes, like could, Daniel faced. Yes, but he put his face to the ground, and guess what? God releases Gabriel and then Michael to bind the prince of the power of the air over Persia and then over Greece. But it did not happen overnight. Nope. three weeks this prayer fasting. Don't you wish? I can't <laughs> wait for the day where I can actually see what that might look like. Yes, like yes. visually. Yes, but yeah, you're right. So you've called the power of prayer. God's deploying his forces. Yes. But they also have an authority. Yes. They're very legalistic, but they do have an authority. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so they're defending their territory. Mm-hmm. And through that prayer, which keeps mm-hmm. empowering, mm-hmm. you know, God, you know, mm-hmm. is leaning into that. Yes. But they had to fight for what, yes. 21 days that's to right. make it there, right? That's right. And so that's what your response is. We're going to pray yes. for, we're going to fast in prayer yes. for 21 days. Yes. And then just. Go ask again. Yes. We did 40 days. You did 40. Now, we did 40 days because 40 days is used a lot in the scripture. And I thought, I don't want to take any risk of it not being done in 21 days. Because this is the worst stronghold I'd ever seen. Not, I mean, nothing for the Lord to take care of. But Matthew says, you can't spoil the goods until the strong man is bound. You don't go in and loot a house without first bounding, binding the strong man and the owner. And that's right out of Matthew. There's no souls going to be rescued, delivered, or saved until the force of evil, the strong man over the region, is bound, which was possessing Coney and terrorizing with fear. And that's been the 20-year war we'd had. And so when we went to prayer and fasting, I always kind of kid in America because I said, prayer for 20, 40 days here and fasting is a bit more of a sacrifice because you're fasting buffets and food and spreads and everything. And over there, we were just living on grasshoppers and potatoes and water. So a fast wasn't too much. It wasn't quite as big of a sacrifice as you might make in America. But it was in a way because they'd been starved. People had seen starvation. After 40 days, 
we went back and I went in total confidence that the strong man was bound. And I just expect a yes. And I still see this today. You know, 20 years later, when we're going to a region and we prayed and fasted 21 days before we go, I still walk in, expect to just spoil the goods. The war's already been won. And so that's how we walk into an area. And I walked into the government offices to say, I'm ready to take that stadium right now. And they said, good, you can have it. And it was an instant yes. And then they no said... No argument, no debate, nothing, no reflection nothing, on what the conversation from nothing, 40 days prior... But doesn't that uh, story appear when Moses went before Pharaoh? And he said, no, 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 no. And plague after plague. And then all of a sudden, the one day Pharaoh's fed up. And he goes, sure, take him. Now, he changed his mind somewhere down the road, you know, but, but there was an instant switch. And God says in Proverbs, I hold the heart of a king and I turn it just like that as a course of a river. He can turn the heart of a government. After one of these prayer gatherings, and we were praying for Sudan several years later, front page of the newspaper changes, dictator, 30 years in office, slaughtering Christianity, imprisoning, beating, burning churches. Instantly we move from office. Who does that but God? We watch this, we watch this, we watch this. So we went into the field and we held the five days of prayer and nothing but the word of God. We don't pray the media. We don't pray fear. We don't pray emotions. We don't pray circumstances. We pray, what does the word say about healing, about God, about repenting, about humility, about turning from our wickedness. We read scriptures one at a time. You read this passage, pray, read a passage, 11 hours a day. And it was on day five that the government called and said, are you those praying in the stadium? We feel a thick blanket of darkness has been pulled back. Heavens are opened and the war stopped. There was not another ambush and revival exploded. No man did that. But Jesus was our plan A. Jesus was our plan C. Jesus was our plan D. Now, A, B, C. So when I thought we'd finished praying and I'm thinking, God, I'm ready now to go to Sudan. They've had 62 years of war. Let's go. And he goes, oh, no, wait a minute. We're just getting started here. And I, what now? Because people poured into that little hut and said, help me reach my people. Our whole land is a bloodbath filled with broken bodies, broken minds, broken emotions, broken hearts. Help me. Help me reach them. And I'm looking at them saying, I don't have any money. There's millions. Where do I begin? And I cried out to the Lord. I said, I don't know what I'm doing here. I just came up here to pray. And he said, you think you came up here for one thing? I brought you here for another. And so, that, and he was saying this, I said, well, you have to teach me. Night after night, the Holy Spirit wake me up in the night and say, now do this, now do this, now do this. I, there's no... What were some of the things you were hearing to go do? Okay, so he said, when I stood at the grave of Lazarus in John chapter 10, and Jesus said, I called Lazarus out. He, he had been dead, right? And Ezekiel 37 says, those dry bones were my army. But do you know why they became dry bones? Because they lost their hope. He said, that's this land. They're dead, dry bones. They've lost their hope. Start speaking life over them. I'm going to bring the whole army back to life. And he said, so Lazarus was dead, but he couldn't move because he was wrapped in grave clothes. He said, do you know the name of the man who unwrapped his grave clothes? The Bible doesn't say. And he said, do you want to be that person? I said, you bet I do. I want to be nameless, 
faceless and just and loose grave clothes. And he said, if you'll do that, I'll call them out of their graves and I'll let them run again. And he said, because the healing of the land is in the heart of the people. All you have to do is lose them. I said, I can do that. But I still didn't know what it looked like. So then the next day when they were coming and help me reach my people, help me reach. I said, well, okay, what do you want to do? And they said, well, they hadn't even dreamed because they never expect to live tomorrow till tomorrow. Uh, it's, so they, it's hard to dream. Yeah. When your future seems so yes. hopeless. And they I'd say, if you could have done something with your life, what would you have wanted to do? I want to teach people the Bible. So I want to do a Bible school. And I found out, you know, found somebody that had had Bible school education. I got photocopied Bible school material from Kampala. I said, Well, here's the little hut. You can invite him. Pastors came. They never even had a Sunday school class. Sit on the floor, eat on the floor. We'll find some rice and beans somewhere. I don't know. We'll divide the little boy's lunch. God did it. I said, he took the two widows last night because two widows sent me a little money. That's all. Two widows. And he turned it into the little boy's lunch. And we would just divide and divide and divide. And hundreds would eat from these little few pennies that I would get. And this was every day. So these pastors are sitting on the floor. And this was Bible college. And now it started. 35 of them graduated. And they slept there too. And then World Vision said, will you take these orphans from the child-headed hut? And and I said, sure, I don't know where we're going to sleep them, but we put them, I put them in my little room and I slept on a mat in the garage and that started our orphanages. We started with nothing. And I said, you know what? It says the blessings of the Lord will overtake you. So that means he's behind me and we, I, I better get moving and his blessings are going to overtake me. They're going to bypass me like a car bypassing another. And then he also said, signs and wonders will follow you. He didn't say they'll go ahead of you. So he's going to follow those moving in obedience. And so we saw every miracle in the book of Acts happen. In five years, I had trained 75 full-time nationals in women empowerment, church planting, church construction, uh, primary school, radio ministry, house of prayer, trauma healing, Bible distribution, and we had a radio station, we had a primary school, we had an orphanage, we had we didn't call it an orphanage, a children's home, because they said, don't call me an orphan, I got daddy God, I'm not an orphan. So it's a children's home. Don't you home. love their joy and their spirit yes. in Africa when they talk about God? Oh. It is something special. Those children could worship, and Jesus come to them every night. He speaks to them every night. And people say, why, do they, why does Jesus come every night to these children? And I said, because they don't have sensory overload. They're listening this way. They don't have all the sounds and the noises and the media and television and radio. They have a pure line to heaven. Oh, that's a great... Well, and I want to... Something I'm noticing, too, all these things. I'm guessing when you first showed up in Sudan, mm-hmm. you weren't an expert in all that stuff at all, I'm guessing. Mm-mm. Trauma and Mm-mm. radios. No, I didn't know anything. In Uganda. In, mm-hmm. I mean, Uganda, right? Yes. And what I love, what I'm hearing is, right, instead of the looking at the enormity of the problem, which can then be overwhelming. Yes. And a lot of us in business were like, okay, it's a big problem. I'm going to put together a plan. I'm going to have all these points, yes. and here's my milestones. You just trusted God and lived in the present, and each day it was... Holy Spirit, yes. show me what I should do today. Yes. What's the next small step? Yes. Okay, I did that, yes. I think. Yes. What's the next step? Yes. And, what's yes. The, and I think when we live in the present yes. and we're trusting God to, for me in this recovery that I've had and getting back into business, operating from that place, because yes. in the past it was always, what is the huge strategic plan and how do we get, well, I think it's good to do some of those things mm-hmm. and have mm-hmm. the goals. Mm-hmm. But 
are as I've had to completely transition. Yes. And my prayer every day is, it used to be actually, God, show me that one small thing I need to do today because my recovery was so hard and long. Mm -hmm. And then it became more. It's like, I do that. I think I did that. I'm like, okay, Lord, what's next? Yeah. And I had to yeah. completely let go of the outcome. Yes. And I had to let go of my agenda. Yes. And in that, what's happened for me personally over the last 10 years is beyond anything my wife and I ever thought even could was possible yeah. when we started this journey. And that's yes. what was happening to yes. you, but at a bigger scale. Yes. Right? Yes. And if he had told me the whole story ahead of time, it would have scared me spitless, probably. You know, but thank God he doesn't. Right? Because he's yeah. leading us in love gently, one step at a time. So my motto became one day at a time, one life at a time. Oh, and when I wanted to go live in the village, because that's how I'd grown up, let me put my face in the dirt and pray for revival to win one village to Jesus, and then you can take me home, Lord, because I'll be finished, and I don't want to get in your way. And he said, do you want to reach one village for me, or do you want to reach a thousand? And I said, well, a thousand, but I can't live in a thousand. He said, I'll bring a thousand villages to you. And he said, and you'll reach a thousand. I had no idea what that looked like. So when he'd say things, I'd say, okay, talk to me more. Show me, what do you mean? And it would just begin unfolding as I followed one day at a time. So when all this happened in first five years, I was working 14, 16 hours. I mean, I was unwrapping and sending, unwrapping and sending. And they'd come pouring back in with all the miracles of the New Testament. Another thousand got saved, another thousand. We built another. And I started, I wished I had documented fast enough, but it was happening so fast. And I look back and the numbers we did keep, over 40,000 went through trauma healing for two weeks. Over 7,000 went through two months bush training in all the jungle and remote villages. What, what's bush training? Discipleship. Oh, Bush okay. training pastors. Oh, wow. Over okay. a thousand churches planted, the radio station, women empowerment, school started, children's home, and I could go on and on and on, and house of prayer. And then all it's done from then is just continue to escalate and explode in growth because the prayer movement has never stopped. It's one thing to attain a revival, a see a revival in our midst. It's another thing to sustain it. And after we see God move like this, our human tendency is to begin to coast. Well, wow, we're just going to live in the glory of this. You know, and Peter talks a lot, by the way, about suffering to glory. You know, both are needed to bring glory. And we're watching the glory of God cover the earth as the waters cover the sea, heal and restore mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, faster than man can count. We couldn't count all the miracles. miracles. But it's not stopped. And all these years later, it's multiplied, it's escalated, because God's after broken hearts, which probably all of us qualify, and he's after the hungry. So I found that if, if he finds humility, he goes to the low places, he walks with the humble, um, he resists the proud. So if he looks for the humble, he looks for the hungry, if we're desperate and hungry, and he looks for holiness. Not that we have to be holy for him to come, but he gets us into his likeness. So I always say to keep pursuing a move of God. 
hungry, holy, and humble. And those are the things Jesus loves, and he comes after. So if we love what he loves and pursue him, then we've just got his glory, you know, ahead of us and behind us and around us. And so now we're seeing five to 6,000 people a month come to Jesus with discipleship. And I still remain the only Westerner in the region, but this is the nationals that God has pulled up out of a valley of dry bones. I always say, you know where he finds his armies? In caves and graves. Because Ezekiel was a graveyard in 37. You got a lot of caves and graves right here in the U.S. right now. We do. Now. And that's what God loves to show off and say, that, no, that's my army. Go get him, Micah 4. He said, you know who I'm going to call in as my army? The broken, the lame, the blind, the halting, the crippled. I've called him a great nation. And David found his guys hiding in caves, in debt, vagabonds, shaken in fear. And look what God turned him into. A mighty army, courageous, loyal, undivided hearts. And I said, God, if you can do that in a broken war zone, you can do it anywhere. And so now, the, you know why people are so ready to die for the vision? Because they live for it. And if we don't have something worth living for, we'll never have anything worth dying for. Well, could you say more about that? Yeah. Everything in our lives every day, we live for eternity. And 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, don't look at what's temporal, look what's eternal. And the temporal is everything you can see. And if we're living for a better this and a better this and a better this, we're living for temporal. But if we live for what's eternal, and so first of all, perspective has to be correct on the eternal. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says they live with eternity in their hearts. That's all of us. It's a matter of what are we going to do with it. And so when, when I look at the sea of indigenous believers that God has raised up, they have something to live for. God pulled them out of death and brokenness, and they know that they know that their life now, like you, were given a second chance. You're not your own. You were bought with the price. But not only that, you were bought a second time by the blood of Jesus. And, you know, some uh, an awareness that I learned after this. Yes. Right? I felt like I was given this amazing second chance. Like, yes. Like raised from death. Yes. But you know, the truth is, every day leading up to that accident in that yes. personal encounter yes. was also a chance at a second chance. Yes. Every mm-hmm. day. You don't have to go through a life event or trauma. Mm-hmm. You can just right now say, Lord, I missed it yesterday. Yes. I had a second chance. I can rewrite my script. Yes. The script that you have already planned for me, not the mm-hmm. one that I have let life yes. write for me. Because there's a lot of negative and evil influences. Because think about it. We're made in God's image. That's right. Right, I believe the heavenlies can see that God's will in that as soon as it happens. Mm-hmm. But so can the enemy. Mm-hmm. So guess all I have to do? Mm-hmm. I have to just convince John that you're not worthy, yeah. that you're not that person, right? That mm-hmm. you are not the kind of person that God would love enough to do that. And if I can just infuse enough doubt mm-hmm. or uncertainty or change my identity mm-hmm. enough where I'm not in touch with who God sees when he looks at me, mm-hmm. Then the enemy can, guess what? I'm now sidelined. He doesn't have to worry about me. Right. And every day is a second chance to reconnect to not who you think you are, but the person God sees when he looks at you. Yes. And when we do that, and that identity transforms, our yes. mind transforms, then we start to see things from a completely yes. different perspective, don't we? 
Yes, and we know that not only did he say he give us life and life abundant, he didn't just give it to us, he is our life. He's my whole reason for living and singing and dancing and giving away what I have because of what he gave me. And so when we own that, when we own that vision and that identity, like you're saying, that is what fulfills our destiny. We can't fulfill a destiny unless we know our identity and where we came from and where we're going. And so when I look at the people and you say, they have something worth living for, so they have something worth dying for. Because when we see what he did for us, greater love has no man than this, than he lay his life down for his friend. And then Philippians one twenty one is one of my mottos. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And you know what Paul said in so many times through the epistles? He said, death works in me, so life might work in you. In other words, he dies to what he wants and his own will and his own comfort zone so he can give life to another. And so when we find something worth living for, it will be worth dying for. Well, you know, and thank you for sharing that. And in the context of leadership, and I, you know, I do a lot in the leadership world. And as I read that verse, lay down your life, mm-hmm. God showed me, you know what, that's the definition of kingdom leadership. Yeah. What if I actually laid down my agenda? Yes. What if I laid my down my agenda to serve your agenda, mm-hmm. to serve your agenda, to seek God and say, what is the agenda that you have in my people? my employees, my sons, my daughters, my spouse. And what if I laid down what I want to serve them? And in, it's in that place that I have found a richness. You know, people talk about, I want to live life fully, you know, like, to the full. Mm-hmm. And I ask people all the time, like, on a scale of 1 to 10, where are you? They're like, I'm an 8. I'm like, really? You were just talking about that. Like, where are you really? And as I've surveyed thousands of people, most people on that scale, 5, 6, maybe 7. That's not living life to the full. Mm-hmm. And what you're talking about is you just walked into a place and said, God, send me. And where do I start? I don't know where to start, so I'm going to pray. And look what's happened. And now, what's the name of your ministry, Carol? And how do people get in touch with you and follow the work that you're doing? Mm-hmm. The book, guys, send me where no one wants to go, the Carol, it's C-A-R-O-L-E, Carol Ward story. But how do people mm-hmm. connect with you and find mm-hmm. you and learn more? Well, the name of the work is called Favor, F-A-V-O-R-I-N-T-L dot org. And you can find the website there. And uh, it's, again, not my work, but God's. And the reason it's named Favor is because I don't want to do a thing in this life without the favor of God. And so his favor is on the work and he owns it. But F-A-V-O-R-I-N-T-L dot org. And the stories are there. Oh my God, in the stories. Yes. Favor INTL, folks. Yes. You can go to the YouTube. There's so many stories that we couldn't unpack. Sending people, mm-hmm. uh, they've only been prepared by God up to a cannibalistic, crazy tribe that never heard of Christ. And they knew they were going to be slaughtered if they went up into their territory. And you prayed for 21 mm-hmm. days and they went up there mm-hmm. and it became mm-hmm. a church plant and is now spread across the mm-hmm. region. Mm-hmm. Women that have come out of abuse that is so horrific, you can barely, it's hard to even mm-hmm. hear. Mm-hmm. who then became a mother to all these orphan children. Yes. And folks, the redemption, yes. God's work, his love. If you're having a bad day, just listen to one of the stories that Carol's been a part of in her work. Now, you have a vision that God has now expanded yes. of what's happening in this entire region. Mm-hmm. Could you share with that what, what you're starting to see right now and what's actually happening? Because let's rewind 20 years. Mm-hmm. 
one of the worst, most horrific atrocities committed in our lifetime since World War II. Mm -hmm. And it was mm -hmm. happening live um, and it was unfolding. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then today, and then share about today and where it's going. Yes. And this was a war where child soldiers were used to kill. And the enemy has always been after our, our youth, our younger generation. So the war zones up there were children traumatized, abandoned, neglected. And when God started moving in revivals in the street kids that were murderers, prostitutes, trafficking, drug dealers, criminals of the highest kind, young people, teenagers, running from the police, sleeping in coffins, sex houses all day from six years old up to 26. And this is in a whole generation that has been war-born. And when God saved the first 50 of them, because we got a gang leader saved, you know, and then the next 50 came in and 50. And I said, Lord, what are we going to do with all these broken young people? We're going after tribes and nations and Muslim territory and so forth. And he said, see the prostitutes turned into prayer warriors and the murderers into missionaries. And so right now, God is giving us a piece of land, and that's what we're after, to rehabilitate a thousand young girls that are being loaded up in planes, 50 at a time, and sent to Saudi. And so we have a $2 million still to pay for that campus. And can I put an exclamation mark on yes. this? Because I told my wife this. It, it blew yes. me away. Every time you travel back there, yes, you, at the airport, this yes. is today, happening right now. Right now. There's Every a group, day. 30, 40, 50 young yes. women, yes. and they're all dressed nice, and they have a clipboard because they've been told mm -hmm. you're getting a job overseas, yes. and there's money going yes. into the family. The family thinks, oh my goodness, at least one of my child got out of this. Yeah. Yes. And they're being sold, and they're yes. going to be harvested for organs Yes, or be put into the sex trades. Yes. And the government's aware of it. Yes. And it's happening daily. Yes. That's the environment yes. that you're going yes. in to bring this light, mm -hmm. this movement of Christ into it. Because yes. it's, right, there's still, there's a lot of work to be done. I, I want people to yes. understand, like, this is, the transformation is still occurring. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And God will use the most broken young people if they're rescued in time and turn the victims of war and the victims of trafficking into instruments of revival. And that takes some spiritual warfare. So, by the way, there are some spiritual warfare teachings on YouTube. But God wants to take the worst of the worst that seems hopeless and turn them into instruments of revival and righteousness with testimonies. He's doing it. <laughs> well, I love what you're doing because you know what's happening right now, right? Um, you know, God said, my people perish for lack of mm -hmm. knowledge. Mm -hmm. What's happening right now in this generation, because yes. I can feel this awakening happening in the body of Christ. Yes. We are not going to have a revival in the world until the body of Christ wakes up. Those dry bones mm -hmm. become basically mm -hmm. act, fully activated human mm -hmm. beings in the world. And I'm seeing evidence everywhere of this awakening. Mm -hmm. If you watch mm -hmm. the news, you won't see it and you'll mm -hmm. be depressed. But if you look for it. Now, in that, as this awakening is happening, I think God is pouring out a level of knowledge right now. Mm -hmm. We don't mm -hmm. battle against flesh and blood, right? Yeah. And that's kind of yeah. how we view it. Yeah. But we battle right now as humans today, this hour, mm -hmm. against power and principality. If you look mm -hmm. around, you can see, actually see that they've taken a lot of territory. Mm -hmm. But God has given us the authority yes. and the tools. Yeah. And He yes. is there, and He is, this is part of His plan. But what you just said about spiritual warfare is something that all of us need to understand more. He's led me through a journey to deeper into mm -hmm. what is really going on there, and it has mm -hmm. been eye-opening. Mm -hmm. But now in that, this property 
releasing a th- you know healing a thousand mm-hmm. people imagine a thousand people yes touch a thousand people yes that's a hundred thousand people mm-hmm. touch a thousand people mm-hmm. that's 10 million mm-hmm. think about this in a generation those thousand people that we're talking about that you right now got us in your heart to invest in could be the genesis of a full transformation of an mm-hmm. entire region Mm-hmm. I can see that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, to do that, you're also raising money. I want to just put this out here for everybody who's part of Beyond Influence. To do this, it's going to take about $2 million mm-hmm. to buy the property and the facilities and train mm-hmm. people and mm-hmm. the trauma care and the aftercare and the equipping. Mm-hmm. And can they donate at Favor International? Yes. Favor, I-N-T-L, folks. I, wherever you're listening, everywhere in the world, I know this goes out to, I think, 162 countries. If it's a couple pesos, lira, if it's a dollar... If it's a thousand dollars, if somebody's listening goes, you know what? I can do two million. Mm-hmm. You had somebody just say, "I'll give you a four hundred thousand dollar matching grant." Mm-hmm. Anything that might come in from our audience is going to be matched one for one up to mm-hmm. the first four hundred. That gives you eight hundred. Mm-hmm. Let's be part of as a group mm-hmm. coming together and supporting Amen. Carol in a life that has Amen. been lived in total submission and service to one thing. And that is following Amen. what Christ Amen. has put on your heart. And what an amazing just beacon and inspiration to the rest of us in a way that Amen. I needed. God brought you into my life at the perfect time. Like, like everything you do, is, it's just, I love how God works. It's beautiful. But as we kind of wrap up, Carol, mm. I would just love mm. just any final thoughts, whatever God is just putting on your heart. Mm. If you just want to maybe even pray for everybody that's listening, mm. just whatever Amen. you want. Amen. I do want to pray. And I want to ask the Lord... That every blinder, Father, I ask that every blinder, every veil, as 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, I'm going to lift the veil off the eyes of my people to see me for who I really am. And Lord, some need to see him as the true Messiah or the true prophet or the good shepherd or the healer of their hearts, the Jehovah Rapha of the provider of our faith and our needs as Jehovah Jireh. But Lord, those veils that have obscured your face, veils of shame, veils of the past, veils of rejection, veils of fear, veils of traditions of man, veils of hopelessness or religiousness, we ask you, Lord, in your love and gentleness, would you lift the veil? For you said, Lord, that where the Spirit of God is, there is liberty. And when we can behold you as you are in your beauty and the immensity of your overwhelming, unconditional love, surrender is not even an issue. It's come so easy. And Lord, you said that when we behold you, we are changed to become like you from glory to glory. And all we want is to be like Jesus. Because you have it all and you live it all in fullness and have paid for it all for us to have in fullness. We want the fullness of the abundant life to completely fulfill the purpose, the meaning, and the destiny you've created us for. And that comes from baptisms of love that'll take us anywhere following you. Thank you, Lord, for lifting veils today and for taking us from faith to faith and from strength to strength and from glory to glory in you. We give you praise and honor, precious Jesus, for your glory. 
Amen. Wow. Amen and amen. And I just thank you, Lord, for just continuing to bless Carol and her team and her staff and just guide their steps. If there's anything you need, and God is going to supply it all, but let us know. Lift it up in prayer. I'll guarantee you, I would be willing to bet that any there's people listening on this podcast right now. So let me ask you a question. Beside anything you might need financially, is there anything else that you've just been praying for that you need that you just are, are just been just waiting expectantly on? I think um, help. I'd love to raise up some Joshuas. To come into Uganda? Yes. With you? Yes, South Sudan. South Sudan. And run with the mantle to multiply. We don't need a lot of Joshuas. Joshua and Caleb were only two. But enough because God's vision is the Great Commission. And everything we do in every one of the ministries I mentioned, women empowerment, school, radio, everything is a Great Commission. It is the Great Commission. And we have an unfinished task and a work to be done. And in order to see leaders developing, which we're doing, in these underdeveloped countries, it takes those who understand Judeo-Christian values, biblical principles of leadership, servant leadership, that can role model, that can live in the trenches with the people and walk life through to hold them to high levels of accountability and excellence because the Father's worth the best. And so I look for those leaders that will say, yes, Lord, I'm all in, and I can begin training and equipping. Just a few. Okay. We all heard that. (laughs) So maybe we answer the call. Or you know somebody, mm-hmm. but we're going to be praying. Amen. And maybe somebody right here heard that and says, Amen. Pick me. Amen. Send me to where uh, you sent Carol. Mm. So, guys, amazing story. Look at God, mm. right? Lift your hand up. Know that He's also right mm. next to you. Mm. And just ask every day what you can do to partner with the Father and the work He's yes. already doing. Yes. And I promise you, He has promised us yes. that He will guide your steps and keep you on the path. Carol, keep knocking them alive out there. Amen. <laughs> you're amazing. You're just a little spitfire, and you just walk straight into the gates of you know what. And mm-hmm. I love that you just shared that, you know what, and there was times you were afraid, mm-hmm. and there was times you were it was dark, mm-hmm. and there was times it was hard. Mm-hmm. And every time, mm-hmm. God walked with you yeah. through that. Amen. 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 All right. God bless you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. 